You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Good morning. So that was pretty much my sermon, so I don't have much to say after that. <laughs> Following Guy is always a tough act to follow because he's so small, but he communicates such a big message. It's really not fair. Our scripture reading today, we've said it a couple times, but it's not going to hurt to read it over one more time. Book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded them. When Jesus called them to him and said, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. As some of you may know, I didn't grow up in the church. But like many of you, I had the opportunity to attend vacation Bible school. I was a late elementary schooler, and I went to my great-grandmother's Methodist church in Deep East Texas. I couldn't tell you the theme or what crafts I took home, but I do remember the live-action retelling of The Passion on the last day of camp. For someone at such a young age who had such little exposure to religion, I was enthralled. We walked from Sunday school room to Sunday school room, watching teenagers reenact the various parts of the passion narrative. When we get to the room where Mary sees the empty tomb, I can't hold back my questions any longer. I don't raise my hand, I wasn't a shy child. I simply burst out with, are you sure he's missing? Like a parent explaining to a child, no, your shoes haven't simply disappeared, I start asking what in my mind are a long list of very logical questions. Well, where did you last leave Jesus? (laughs) Did you check everywhere in the tomb? And my personal favorite, are you sure he was dead when you left him there? (laughs) I cannot imagine the conversation my great-grandmother had to have with her children's director that day but I know that no one answered my questions. I wasn't intentionally trying to cause a scene. I just wanted to know more. The questions we hear from the mouths of our youngest congregants aren't something to be dismissed, but something worth embracing. As we grow up and get older, those why questions can fade. We accept what we are told, and the radical messages of the Bible doesn't always seem so radical after a while. This part of the scripture comes in a place where Christ is throwing us countercultural norm after countercultural norm. Immediately before, Christ blesses the children and scolds his disciples, we're challenged with the idea that a humble faith is much more important than a perfect life. There's a parable, and it has a tax collector and a Pharisee going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee prays to God and thanks for not being like those other sinners. 
for fasting, for following the law, and for just being a perfect follower of God. Meanwhile, the prayers of the tax collector are that of humble repentance. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector is justified, and as he humbles himself to God and admits his imperfections. When we look to the work of Christ in this shorter passage on children, there's a parallel that we might not always get in modern day. The children that are being blessed have no status in this society. They, like the tax collector, are the least among us. Where the Pharisee dismisses the tax collector and the sinners, we're looking at a Christ who exalts those who are humble, those who are the least among us. To compare the tax collector and the children feel a little counterintuitive. But if we think as the Pharisee does, and we have the world split into two buckets, the good folks and the bad folks, we're left with the children, and we have to decide where they fit in. These children don't necessarily follow the Mosaic law to a T, just as our children today might still be calling communion snack time. That perfect life is not lived. And so from the Pharisee perspective, the children don't fit in with that good folks bucket. When we're looked at Luke, looking at Luke's gospel, we're presented with the poor, the meek, the others of society, and in that other category include our children. In this way, we are challenged to throw out this non-intersecting Venn diagram of the good and the bad and realize that we're all children of God. So as a child of God, what does that look like for us? In this scripture as well, we're called to welcome God's kingdom like a child. In the common English Bible study Bible, it's presented in two different ways. One, providing hospitality for children and other low-status people is how you welcome God's kingdom. And two, in order to enter God's kingdom, you must, like these children, care nothing about status. When we provide hospitality to children and other low-status people, it is more than generalized safety and awareness of their existence. It's a mutual respect. Hospitality is not a box to be checked, but a way of living alongside others. We can welcome the kingdom of God by respecting all of those around us. We can respect the questions being asked. We can respect what is asked of us from marginalized communities. We can respect the people of any age who ask questions about the Bible, about the church, about faith. And we can respect individuals enough to give them the space and resources to learn. If we're thinking about entering God's kingdom, we must humble ourselves and care nothing about status. That's not an easy ask. We cannot hold ourselves back by trying to be the Pharisee of the parable in this world. We cannot focus so much on being in the good folks bucket that we lose sight of how to humble ourselves. When we're so focused on being good, checking all the boxes, on answering the questions right in Sunday school, we lose sight of a God who humbles us. When we humble ourselves before God, it's extremely countercultural in the American world which we live. We're encouraged to be winners, to shout our achievements from the rooftops, to extend our resumes. As Charlie mentioned, I spent the last year studying at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary, 
I've learned a lot of the right answers for Sunday school. I can translate some of the Greek, and I can easily toot my own horn and pray the Pharisee prayer, yes, God, thank you. I've done it all. I know more than my friends about Presbyterian history. <laughs> but that's not the prayer the scriptures tell us to pray. We are to be humbled by what we don't know, the sins we've confessed, and know that God isn't there keeping tallies on the good and the bad, but is there in love. It's important when we open a passage such as this to not confuse the word childlike with childish. To be childish is to be emotionally immature about the ways of the world, to act rationally, or to only be interested in very simple things. To be childlike is to remove the box we've put around our faith, the box that has been built up year after year of learning the right answers, of learning the right way to view and engage our faith. Unboxing faith is more than a single moment of thinking of a question to yourself and going, yeah, I got the right answer, we're good. It's thinking about what we understand to be normal and expected and how that might not be the only way to think about something. When we unbox our faith, we are also challenged to take God out of the box. My favorite children's book is called What is God Like by Rachel Held Evans. Rachel Held Evans was a phenomenal theologian, blogger, and speaker. She challenged the expectation of evangelical women through her actions and her words. And although she passed away in 2019, the manuscript for this book was able to be published in 2021. The beauty in what is God-like is it takes all the expectations around a God we might envision, let's call it Sistine Chapel God, <laughs> and Rachel throws it out the window. In this book, God is not limited by race, gender, shape, or size. God is like a best friend. Three dancers dancing all at the same time. God is like a mother and a father. God is a gardener. God is an artist. And God is beyond any one thing or person. I read this in Kaleidoscope Kids earlier this summer, and I was worried I might be pushing too many boundaries. I was worried there would be children that ask how God, with so many different things and back-to-back -back illustrations, but I was blessed to be wrong. The kids loved how God are three different dancers, all dancing to the same song but doing different dances. They loved that God was wind and invisible, and most importantly, that God keeps us safe. The childlike faith of these children allow for God not to be placed in a box. But God is so many metaphors and so many different meanings. And the concept of God can connect with each person in a slightly different way. The Sistine Chapel God wasn't an image I was fighting against, but I'm talking and you might have that image in your head of what God's like. Maybe you pray to the Sistine Chapel God, and it's not wrong to do that. But when you think about what it means to humble ourselves, to not care about status, and to know that the conversations you have between you and God are truly that, between you and God, it's not the only idea of God that we need to hold on to as we look towards the kingdom. When we're asked to approach Christianity with a childlike faith, 
It isn't easy. We've spent our lives being told the right way to live, the right way to argue with people who disagree with us, and to go through the motions of faith, sometimes like a checklist. But I'm giving you permission today, this week, this month, to question your faith. You can question the images you have in your mind of the Trinity. You can question, maybe was Christ really missing from the tomb? Questions like these allow us to grow deeper in our faith. We're empowered to sit down with our Bibles, our Christian leaders, our friends, our fellow students, and maybe a large cup of coffee, and ask the big questions. If you're given the opportunity to have a conversation with some of the kids, either in this church or in other parts of your lives, I encourage you to take their approach to questions. Why are we coming to church? Why do we call it the New Testament if it's 2,000 years old? Why did Jesus have to die? These questions don't need to have a perfect answer. There's not going to be a quiz next time I preach. I don't know is something I often find myself saying when faced with questions of faith. To admit what we don't know is to humble ourselves before God, to walk alongside each other, to relearn and recommit ourselves to our faith. A childlike faith is a gift. It's a very old gift given to us, given to our parents, given to our grandparents, given to my great-grandmother, all the way back to the apostles. The permission to humble ourselves and our dependence to God is a gift. We are called to be children of God and we can wear that identity with the knowledge that we will never know all the right answers. To be released from the confines of expectation of knowing it all and being perfect, with that we can confidently say, I don't know, but I trust in a God who loves, the God who lives outside of any label or box. And I trust that God will grant mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you.